Welcome to the Smiles Matter podcast by Microdental Laboratories. I'm Laura Kelly, and it's my pleasure to host our new series, Comeback Strategies for Today's Dental Practice. Just because someone says, get this equipment, your practice is going to thrive, that's not necessarily so. You have to look at your advertising, your equipment, all with an ROI mentality. And you need to stop it when it's going south. Don't just keep doing it. Northern California, home of the annual CDA San Francisco Convention, is also the place where other prominent organizations like the ADA, FDI World Dental Congress, and the AACD have held their annual sessions. Access to world-class education, proficient researchers, a vibrant venture capital community, and an endless supply of new technology have attracted highly talented professionals from every field, including dentistry. Danville, a small town in the San Ramon Valley, approximately 35 miles east of San Francisco, is where Dr. Chris Pescatore established his successful cosmetic dentistry practice. Danville is surrounded by ambitious entrepreneurs, highly innovative minds from the Bay Area. A focus on healthy lifestyles and safety is very characteristic of this thriving community. In fact, Danville was named the safest town in California in 2020. Beautiful weather, remarkable career opportunities, and easy access to world-class healthcare, arts, and education. But is this community vulnerable to economic downturns just like everyone else around the country? I am pleased to introduce Dr. Chris Pescatore, originally from New Jersey. He graduated from the New Jersey Dental School in 1990 before moving to the West Coast. Recognized as a pioneer in comprehensive, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry, Dr. Pescatore was on the board of directors of the AACD and is one of the first three clinical directors at LVI. Dr. Pescatore is one of only 46 dental professionals worldwide on the editorial board of the prestigious publication Reality, the information source for cosmetic dentistry. Hi, Dr. Pescatore, and thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate you taking some time to be with us. You know, we just want to dive right in. You've got a lot of experience. I know that everyone is really going to be very interested in, in hearing a little bit more about you. How did you become interested in dentistry? Well, first, Laura, I just want to say hi, and I uh, hope you and all of Microdental are doing well. Thanks very much for asking me to do this. It's, it's an honor. But as far as how I got involved in dentistry it was actually, briefly, I wasn't. I started when I went to college. I wanted to be a vet. I had dogs growing up, loved dogs. Uh, loved animals, and I wanted to be a vet. But come my sophomore year in college, when we had to declare majors, we had to put one of our dogs down. And that was uh, that was really not a good experience, as any of you know. And uh, when I got home from taking the dog to be put down, my dad said, do you want to do that for a living? And I said, no. Then I went to pre-med. I was always science-oriented, so I was pre-med up until the fall of my uh, senior year. I had come across a, a medical counselor, a counselor for medical schools, and he was talking to me in depth, and he didn't want to know so much about grades or, you know, if I was worried about getting in, but what I'd like to do as a person. Who am I? What do I like to do? And that got me into talking about what I like to do. I, I like to be creative. I, I've always been into art and things like that. So he said, have you ever thought of dentistry? And I said, no, no, not at all. And I went home from that little interview and I uh, talked to my dad and my dad said, why don't you call our dentist and hang out with him for a day or so and see if you like it. And I did. And the rest is history. And then I applied to dental school. And um, 30 years later, they haven't kicked me out of the profession. <laughs> 
I think it's always interesting to find out how people in our profession, you know, became introduced to dentistry and, and a little bit about them. Let's just jump right into, I mean, being in practice for about 30 years, you said now, I'm sure that you've, you've come across different challenges, you know, in your practice, whether it was starting off on the East Coast, moving to the West Coast, different challenges, possibly in 2008 or 9-11 or, or anything else that, that you'd like to share during your career. What were some of the things that you, that you focused on then or you saw that uh, really helped you get, get over that? and uh, come out on the other side, not just surviving, but actually being able to establish a really successful uh, cosmetic dental practice. When I first got out of school, um, I worked around in a bunch of different practices, as most people will have to do, you know, to earn a living and start paying back your student debt. But it was just actually the first challenge I had was actually just leaving the safety of dental school, really. I mean, now being completely responsible for everything I do. No one's there to check anything. No one's there to give you advice, so to speak. You, you're on your own. And I didn't take that very lightly. So the first thing I did was just engage in as much continuing education courses as possible and realize you can learn from everyone, the people that are at the course, the people that are teaching the course, um, and just be a sponge and absorb. When I started practicing, you know, being an associate and working around, after a doing that for a few years, I decided to buy my own practice. Uh, I bought an existing practice where I had 10 employees. I was working six days a week. It was a grind. And not to mention the fact that I was doing a lot of procedures I really didn't like doing. I knew after I seated my first crown in dental school that my goal was to always place a restoration that even a dentist couldn't tell it was fake. And and owning a general practice, you have to do wear a lot of hats. And I decided I wasn't, I wasn't cut out for that. And that's okay. I know what I wanted to do. I want to do restorative dentistry. I got into all ceramic restorations in the very early 90s, before pressable ceramics, before all the fancy stuff was around, when just plain old felspathic porcelain was around. I got to make some of my own restorations, which I enjoyed doing. I slowly got my 10 employee practice down to five, the ones that believed in my dream. And that was the key to get a staff behind you that believes in you. And that is on the same mission as you. Around 96, 97, I moved to California. And then another hurdle, I started from scratch again. <laughs> and uh, this time I chose the town that would be conducive to a lot of cosmetic work, a lot of elective work. Opened a practice from scratch and sat in my office and waited for the first patient to come in and uh, did some advertising, did some little marketing around town. And uh, it turned out my first case was referred from a very close friend and was 10 upper veneers. And we've been going ever since. That was how it started. Along the way, that was, so now you're talking late 90s and then 9-11 hits, 2001. Being from the East Coast, I lost a classmate. Uh, in one of the buildings and around 10 people from my hometown. And the surrounding towns all had similar, unfortunately, amount of casualties. It wasn't so much of an economic crisis, an economic hurdle. It was more of a mental one for a lot of people. I remember waking up that morning, turning on the TV and actually seeing the second plane hit the building and just wondering what happened. I went to the office, every patient canceled and just wanted to be home with their family. So I just sat in my office the majority of the day, and then finally we just closed up and went home. So that, again, wasn't so much of an economic hurdle, but it took everyone out of their comfort zone, out of the norm. And it took a number of weeks to 
maybe a number of months for people that want to get back in their normal schedule. But I didn't see that as a true economic hurdle. I think it was more of a mental one. So that's 2001. And then unfortunately, there are personal issues that people have. And I had gone through a, a divorce in the, in the mid-2000s with children. And anyone who has done that knows it's very tough when you have kids. Shortly after that, we had the economic crisis of 2008. So, you know, I got hit on both sides on that one. And uh, I just kind of laughed it off because at that point I said, what else can you throw at me? And through that all, all I did was I just had to sit down with myself and be honest. You know, what did I want to do? I lost about a third of my practice through that 2008 economic crunch. So what do I do? You know, I get emails all the time, people telling you, do this, add this procedure, do that, buy this equipment, and it'll bring this in, do all this. And I really just had to sit with myself and be honest and say, what do I want to do? And what I wanted to do was do what I've always done, cater to smiles, old porcelain restorations, adhesion, facial aesthetics. I thought I was being dishonest if I started to bring in other things that really weren't my cup of tea or my passion. It was basically staying with my passion. And I felt like if I was true to me and true to my passion, people would respect that and people would remember that. And after 2008 and years started passing and people started coming back and people remembered me. And so when they came back, they were ready to do all the big cases. So I really felt like staying in my lane, so to speak, was very beneficial. People viewed me as genuine. I wasn't just trying to make a quick buck off of a another procedure or something like that that I don't normally do. And uh, it seemed to work. Along that time frame, too, I decided going through a divorce that another part of my career for well over 10 years was lecturing. I used to do a minimum of eight lectures a month, and I did that for over a decade. Well, when you go through a divorce, all I wanted to do was be home with my kids. So I stopped lecturing cold turkey and uh, you know, got to raise my kids and do Boy Scouts and do soccer coaching and um, got to tutor at the kids' schools on my day off and did that for 10 years. And then got back into lecturing maybe two years ago and now Corona hits and everyone's canceling the lecture. So stuff happens. So I think the bottom line advice I'd have for people, especially young people in the profession is, first of all, find your passion in the profession. There's a lot of things to do in this profession. Find your passion, you know, get, develop the relationships with your staff and your patients. When the Corona hit, it was so nice that I had so many people, so many patients calling the office to say, how are you guys doing? They actually cared about us as people, not just their dentists and their staff. How are you guys doing? Can we bring you anything? Are you doing okay? I mean, that told me I was doing the right thing. So you have to have that relationship. There's no shortcut. But you have to believe in yourself and your abilities. And if you don't have the abilities, go get them. There's a lot of courses out there. You want to be better at cosmetics? There's a ton of courses. There's a ton of people that can be your mentors that would love to mentor you. But also, you, you know, you got to be financially smart. You have to look at everything you do and invest in with an ROI mentality, your return on investment mentality. Just because someone says, get this equipment, your practice is going to thrive, that's not necessarily so. You have to look at your advertising, your equipment, all with an ROI mentality. And you need to stop it when it's going south. Don't just keep doing it. So I would tell anyone, hold tight. This will be over at some point. Stick to your guns. Communicate with your patients via social media. Maybe you have a staff member. Just call patients at random. How are you doing? Can we do anything for you? 
and I think I think we're going to be okay. Also, for dentist business owners, or I would suggest going to uh, there's some the Henry Schein website has some great YouTube videos on what's going on with the CARES Act, especially with the PPL loans, the IE uh, DLs, that's the Paycheck Protection Loan and the Economic Injury Disaster Loans. Get up to snuff on that stuff. Get your get your accountant on it. Get a good business manager on this stuff and apply for those loans to help you if you need it. So it's just being wise all around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, really, really good advice. And uh, I think that that's really important what you said about, you know, just the engagement that you're having with your, your patients during this time. Anything specifically that, that you're, you're doing um, now maybe different than you did, you know, back in 2008 or, or any other times throughout your career when it comes to your patient base? I know you have a, you know, you have a, a real uh, boutique practice, you know, and you focus, like you had said, in the area that's really your passion and your, and your expertise. Uh, is there anything that, that you're implementing now? You know, with, with practicing, you know, three decades. And if I look back at how I've evolved, I would say that being you, being authentic, meaning your patients aren't going to spend money in your office if they don't believe in you. And really, if they don't like you. And that's the truth. There's a lot of other practitioners. When another practitioner's patients come to my office, I don't view it as I'm better. Or when my patient might leave and go to someone else's, I don't view as I failed. I view it as our personalities didn't quite click. And so what I would say to people is develop relationships. You can't just go in a room, sit down, drill a filling or drill for a crown leave and expect that patient to be loyal. If you want loyal patients who are going to invest with you, meaning spend money in your practice, you need to develop relationships with those people. You need to know about them and talk to them. I mean, I schedule very differently than what I scheduled in the beginning of my career. Before it was all about, you know, scheduling one after another. Of course, that means there's people waiting in the waiting room. I schedule typically with a little extra cushion, and that gives me time to sit and talk to the patient when they first come in, not jump in and, you know, inject and start working. How are you doing? What's going on? How was the kids? How did, how did, how did Johnny do in school this year? You know, talk to these people and you'll find that those people will be very loyal and the people they refer are very good referrals. They're not just fly by nights. They're not just a toothache. You take care of them. You never see them. The people they refer are good quality patients with a high dental IQ. So I would say the biggest difference is I realize I, I really enjoy what I do for a living, but I enjoy the relationships just as much. And I think early in my career, I looked at the relationships as very secondary, mm-hmm. okay. but they're not. They're very primary to your practice. I like hearing that. That's really important. You know, another area I know that that you have a passion for is technology. And I know that uh, you were you were early on in taking, taking a look at, at different technologies and and bringing them into your practice. And I'm, I'm curious to how you're seeing technology uh, moving into this, this uh, post-corona world that we'll be, uh, all be living in together and how you see that in, you know, specifically related to your practice or your areas of interest. Any changes you, uh, yeah, you're looking to make? Well, I think we're seeing technology really change dentistry, especially on the laboratory side. A lot of things are digital workflow, and that's good to an extent 
But laboratories like Microdental understand, yes, a digital workflow is important, but we also have to have people actually touch the restorations and put their final touch and I call it beautification on it. I think that's really necessary. So technology, and I've loved technology. I've been into digital sculpting and scanning for, God, since the 90s. So I really think that a lot of the software has come around. It it does, you know, behoove a clinician to really check out the technologies and see if they're worth it for their practice. Uh, having an intraoral scanner, especially, you know, where I can send a file, my, my digital scan to microdental is a really great, great opportunity. Do you need an in-office CAD CAM system? Well, that's up to you and how your practice is, is set up. I would tell people to really check it out because with any technology, remember, there's always a maintenance clause. There's always a maintenance fee. So the bigger and the bigger piece of equipment you're going to get, guess what? The bigger maintenance fees you're going to have to pay too. So I think digital scanners are going to be very, very commonplace. And those are, are very reasonable now. But I would say check out the technologies. Everyone doesn't need the biggest piece of equipment and, and everything like that. It really, you have to evaluate your practice. And if you are rep for whoever, whatever distributor you use, Henry Shine or whoever, a lot of them bring in people to look at your practice and say you're interested in this piece of equipment. They'll tell you whether it's affordable for you, whether you're really going to have a good ROI or you won't. And then they'll leave the decision up to you. I think that's a really good thing to do. But um, I think that, that you have to keep reading about the technologies. Don't necessarily think you have to jump on them right away. See how other uh, talk to people who have them and see if they would buy it again. And just don't talk to one, talk to a bunch. And you need to talk to everyone, people who love it, people who don't love it. Why don't they love it? Why does someone love it? You know, find out, but just don't believe one person at face value. Find out, find out for yourself a little bit, get your hand, go to a trade show, get your hands on this stuff. That's great. I, I like that advice is uh, you can be interested in it without, you know, jumping in too quickly or, or, uh, you know, not finding what's a good, a good fit for you, you know, in, in your practice. So thanks for, for spending some time with us today. Um, you've really shared a lot of really good information that I think people listening to this will be inspired. They'll feel good about coming out and being true to who they are, you know, in their practice, like you've described. And sounds like you're con continuing to go down that path because it's worked really well for you. And just excited to get over this uh, speed bump we have and, and get back to doing what we all enjoy doing and being able to, you know, work more together with you and, and everybody out there. So thank you. Thank you again for everything today. Appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Laura. And, and good luck with everything and stay healthy. And we'll talk soon. Thanks. You too. Take care. You too. You've been listening to the Smiles Matter podcast, created by Microdental and Modern Dental Laboratories. For more information, you can go to our website, www.microdental.com slash smilesmatterpodcast, or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are available. Thank you for listening, because we believe that smiles matter.